RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. All right, hello, Brian. Hey, Dusty, how's it going? It's going well. Mike's here with us again. Hey, guys. So, Mike, at this point, you've graduated from from guest to regular, and now you're just part of the cast. Woohoo! And today is a very special episode of RPG Lessons Learned. We have Tanner with us from the Shadow of the Cabal podcast. Hi, guys. How's it going? It's going well. Great. Great to have you. So Tanner's going to walk us through uh, one of his sessions. So he's our guest GM. Uh, He'll discuss a session that he ran and, and lessons that he learned, and we'll all jump in and comment on that. Before we jump into the meat of that, though, remember RPGLessonsLearned.com takes you to the right subcategory on TFRadio.net. All our podcasts are there. Please, if this is your first episode, feel free to listen to some previous episodes. I have nearly 20 years of content there. <laughs> you'll, you'll never run out of anything to listen to. That's fair. All right. Tanner, why don't you tell us a little bit, a little bit about the session that we're going to talk about today? Sure. So um, I'm Tanner. I run the Shadow of the Cabal actual play podcast. I uh, It's a Legend of the Five Rings actual play podcast. So if you've never heard of L5R before or you've never listened to the podcast, basic one sentence description, it's Samurai Game of Thrones. Um, that's the tone of the world. It's very gritty. Honor rules everything that the samurai do. And it's fun to sort of play around in that morality that is very alien to most of the Western audiences playing it. So uh, this session is this. I'll just say off the off the top. This is going to be a this description is going to have spoilers in it. This whole episode is going to have spoilers for kind of what turned into episode twenty nine ish of the show. Episodes twenty eight and twenty nine. So basic overview: my players are looking for a person of interest. They find that that person of interest has been kidnapped. Uh, they go and they chase down the kidnappers after a long mystery, and then they confront the kidnappers. Uh, they basically figure out that these the the people who kidnapped the samurai had a really good reason to want to do it. Uh, they're sort of agents of vigilante justice, and th- some of the big missteps that went into this is that I sort of forced my idea of the finale too hard onto my players who had really good ideas to other ways to deal with that, and then that sort of snowballed into a series of bad decisions where we basically made the universe of our game unplayable. So we deleted our recording of that. We re-recorded it. And so this is what would have been episode 29 of the show. We re-recorded it. I won't talk about what we re-recorded. I'll let you guys go and listen to that episode 29 of shadow of the cabal, but that's sort of the basic overview of what I'm here to talk about today. So you completely deleted it. There's no, there's no chance for a, special DVD commentary episode of, of Shadow of the Cabal where we get to hear the the alternate ending? I'll tell you, man, it left such an icky feeling in my heart. Like, when I got to that part of the episode, like, I knew we had re-recorded it. I didn't even listen to it again. I just said, Audacity from 40 minutes on, delete it. I don't want to... It is, it is in a box somewhere far away where I will never be able to touch it again. That's that's funny that 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 when you said that that reminds me of the the issue we got into our fourth edition game where we we killed the young women of the town oh, and God. It put a pall over our game and Ruined those characters that. from Ruined then it. on yeah but, yeah, yeah. When, when I listened to that that was that's my favorite episode of your guys' show by the way like when I listened to that I'm like the first thing I thought was oh my God this is like the situation that you guys ran into is what I try to impress upon every adventure with Legend of the Five Rings. Like, what horrible moral choice can I make you guys jump through hoops to have? And, like, for some games, for, like, 
fourth edition D&D, you know, that's sort of a different headspace, a different tone. Might not be something that the table was comfortable with, but man, what I, I want to find that adventure and I want to run it. It sounds awesome. Yeah, 4 d and d unfortunately, the only way to deal with anything was to kill it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what everything on your character sheet was for. <laughs> yep. Often yep. with fire. Yeah. So walk us through, uh, so, and, and, and Tanner too, uh, let's talk about some of the good things about, well, I don't know if this is how the episode turned out, because I, I am a huge fan of Shadow of the Cabal. For those of you listening at home, if you're listening to this podcast and haven't listened, uh, it's shadowofthecabal.com. Uh, amazing podcast. It's become legitimately not blowing smoke here. My favorite actual play. And I listen to a lot of actual plays. I, I love the setting. I love Rokugan. For those of you listening, if you haven't played L5R, my favorite quote about Rokugan is Rokugan is not feudal Japan, but it's a lot like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so don't get caught up on, on, Hey, I know about Japan. That's really not how this is. No, no, no. No, Rokugan is, is different. But let's talk about some of the victories too, right? Because when I compare the investigation, even before the ending part, even before the finale, when I compare the investigation that led to that, um, maybe in episode 28, to your investigation in the very first episode, into that untimely death on, on the on the hunt, on the boar hunt, uh, those investigations went wildly differently. And investigation is something that I, I haven't been able to run terribly effectively in my GMing career. I've done mm-hmm. it accidentally well a few times, but you seem to have really zeroed in on some really good victories on investigation. Well, thank you. Um, I, I think the, the biggest reason for that is in between me recording episode one of the show and in between what I recorded that turned into the session that we're talking about here, I played a lot of different RPGs. I got really into the gumshoe role-playing game system uh, featured in games like Trail of Cthulhu and Knights Black Agents. And I really took a lot of philosophies of that game and encounter design to heart when doing uh, investigative stuff in Legend of the Five Rings, which is basically, if you have a clue that is needed to progress the story, it can't be missable. Like, whatever the players do, if they go into the scene to have to find the bloody knife that will lead them to ask the butcher, they have to find it. Otherwise, your adventure's over. So, like, this idea of core clues and extra clues is something that I really zeroed in at. And I appreciate the compliments because that's something I really tried to to get across where, you know, like, if they go into... It's basically about not trying to hide progression by chance by a die roll. So, like, if they go into the scene and they're talking to a witness, they're going to get the clue from that witness. Yeah, they can make rolls or use other avenues or leverage to try to get more from that and uh, have a chance to fail on getting extra information. But whatever they need to move the damn thing forward, they need to get it. Otherwise, especially if you're playing for radio like we are, like, if if we're just stumped and we go, uh, well, we have no idea. What do we do? Like, what does that turn into for us? And I think that's something that is really applicable to any game. Yeah, it doesn't feel like you, your guys wind up there. But, but at our table, we ran an investigation game uh, even not too long ago. Mike, I'm thinking about the uh, the hag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and I, I literally had to say a couple times. Uh, so the way I, I, I don't approach it with the with the gumshoe method. I, I hadn't read about that. I need to look into that. What I do now is I put so many clues out there that there's no way you're going to miss the rolls on all of them. Mm-hmm. So I have like a whole bulleted list of different clues that they might find. And I still find myself getting to a point where I'm saying, all right, guys, here's some things you could investigate if you wanted to. And I hate having to do that, which is why I feel lacking at investigation and why I envy the, the session that you're talking about today. 
Mm-hmm. Well, thank you again. And like I said, that, that is another great way to do it. I think there's a great article on the alexandrian.net called The Three Clue Rule. And if you're going to be running investigation, I'll just say read that article and digest it and absorb it and make it into your game. It's awesome. Awesome. We'll do. So, yeah, um, I guess, uh, th- like I said, this that uh, the whole investigation happened before the finale, and I, I'll, I'll sort of gloss over that, but um, they're hunting down somebody that they suspect is a part of a criminal organization, and they go to his home, and they find that he's not there. He's been kidnapped in the middle of the night. So they follow this all these threads throughout the city, and they eventually find out that the perpetrators are the samurai from the Unicorn Clan. And the Unicorn Clan are sort of the nomadic Mongol uh, type, stereotype of the great clans of Legend of the Five Rings. So they figured out basically the reason why they're kidnapping this guy is that this 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 guy that they kidnapped basically killed a diplomat that these Unicorn were trying to protect. So they decided to do things their own way, old school, kidnap him, drag him across the empire to answer to their justice, not to the the justice of the place they were in. So, glossing over that, uh, my players know where these unicorn samurai are. They have a pretty good idea that the guy that they kidnapped is there as well, so they go and confront them. Just another uh, quick point of professionalism. I think another big difference between your group and ours is we would have a really hard time staying professional with our main adversaries being unicorns, just the name yeah, unicorns. This is true. We would do a lot of chuckling and unicorn jokes. and Yeah. Hey, those happen. They just get cut. I mean, like, the, the big bad force in the universe of Legend of the Five Rings is the, called the, the taint. taint. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And we, we lost, like, half an hour. We struggled with that. <laughs> yeah. That's that's sort of the, the point where you know if you're playing L5R, if it's for you or not, after half an hour, can you get over saying... The taint has consumed you. Yeah. That yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we'll do our L five. So we ran L five R in fifth edition, and we'll, we'll record that episode one day. But yeah, we lost a lot of time to the taint. I'm looking forward to hearing it. <laughs> uh, just like giggling, like nothing but giggling. One thing I, I do want to jump in and compliment you on, Tanner, is is just what you said up there that hey, this guy's been kidnapped, and the kidnappers have a legit reason, you know, revenge or, or justice for the murdered diplomat. Um, just as I'm listening to your show, as I listened to that episode, I was like, wow, I love that there's sympathy for these, uh, for, for uh, villains is the wrong word, right? Antagonists, right? Mm-hmm. I love that, that they're completely justified, uh, not only in terms of, not only in, in their minds emotionally, they're, they're very emotionally justified in what they've done. But depending on your point of view on Rokugani justice, if they were successful and, and got that guy all the way back to Unicorn Lands, they will also would have been justified basically in the eyes of the law. Right, right. And and it's a very hairy situation because my players, they're sort of agents of imperial justice. They're kind of like the FBI of the setting. Uh, they can cross clan boundaries and, and solve mysteries as they see fit. But it's one of those things that they stumbled upon this crime that's totally adjacent to what they were looking into to begin with. And so the question, the moral quandary that I, I kind of wanted to put forth is, hey, are you guys really going to go out of your way to solve this crime, even though you're not really in the right by doing it, even though like it's expected of you to, to look into this crime as it happened in your lap, but is it really your problem? Like, so I'm glad that it turned out the way it did definitely. And they definitely played to the letter of the setting of saying, Hey, you know what? Justice is justice. The law is the law, no exceptions for anybody. So my, my goal through the whole series is really to create this cognitive dissonance of, even between the players and what's happening and the listeners and what's happening of being like, oh, these guys are the protagonists. Are they, are they the, the good guys? 
are they are they doing what's right like like what what's the point of this so that's if if that's a thought that entered your head i consider that a success that's really heady for um i mean you're doing this for radio you're broadcasting this with the obviously we're recording it with the intention for people to listen that's really heady um that would be i, I don't know that i could do that in doing a an rp because when i'm doing an rp i very much do it for myself and mm-hmm. for the table and i don't I, I don't even know that i could think of it in terms of what am i doing for the people listening at home right and and it's one of those things too where if that if you don't want to dig into the politics of what i'm doing or why i'm doing if you just want to turn your brain off and have a good story my intent is that you can you can do that and but it i i just wanted there to be something there if people want to dig into it you know so it can work on both levels but we're getting away from the uh yeah. the, the events of the session a little bit so just to circle back they're hunting down these kidnappers and <clears throat> i had prepared in my in my mind and in my my prep notes that this is going to be sort of a showdown combat encounter between the players and the kidnappers um like i said the players knew that the kidnappers had a really good reason to want to abduct this guy um so they very uh to, to their credit, tried to talk their way out of it and talk to these these unicorn samurai and say, hey, <clears throat> you know what? What you're doing, we understand it, but you have to understand that you aren't acting within the law. And and it's one of those things where in a situation, this is the argument they were putting forward, that we're on the same side here. We just happen to have conflicting morals right now. So why don't we try to make this work and and talk this out? But me, as the GM said, you know what? These guys are blinded by grief. They're they're not in their right head, so they're just not going to be able to take that sort of sensible, logical argument to heart. And what what I really meant by saying that is that was a very cop out answer of me because what was actually going on in my brain was if they just managed to talk their way and and, and hug it out through their feelings, what kind of finale is that? And I was kind of uncomfortable with with that as a finale, so I really tried to find uh in game reasons to justify my out of game decision to want to have this be sort of a showdown rather than a hug it out situation it's it's yeah you're striking on a lot of things about what makes rp uh role playing as a as a pastime as a storytelling method different from you know writing a novel or watching a movie which is that a lot of times uh and, and with so many people you know having their their, their hands in the pot so to speak, uh, you don't get that satisfying beginning, middle, and end story with lots of foreshadowing where the end result's already been foreshadowed. Like you don't get that tight structure of a novel or a play. Right? It's so loose and open, and and at times it feels random. And mm-hmm. it sounds like, it sounds like that, that's what you were struggling with or against. Yeah, and and it's one of those things too where you have to set a limit as a GM. There has to be a line somewhere of what can your players talk their way out of and what can't they you know like if you're running a a session of like say for, for example like if you're running lost minds of fandelver in legend or in uh, fifth edition D, if they're going into into the cave to to get back the the cargo from the goblins it's like are you going to let them talk their way through every time or are these goblins going to be able to react naturally to the fact that there's invaders in their home, you know? And, and it's one of those things where it's hard to get everybody on the same page about that. And out of character, uh, what happened off mic is that we had a lot of discussion about what is my, if my character is a social type, 
what is my agency in this scene? How, like, what should I be able to talk my way out of? What should I be able to solve nonviolently? And how do I balance that with uh, Justin's character, Bayushi, who is just a through and through killing machine? She's a, she's a sword of legs, you know? Like, how do you balance those types of fun, not only as a GM, but like narratively and, and what happens in the fiction of the game? It's really hard. And this, this session, I'll say, was a total misstep for all of us in that. So, um, lesson learned for me, I guess, was. Like, don't be so married to my idea of what I want this scene to be that I don't let the players have their own spin on how they wanted it to shake out. And, you know, this is a, a lesson that I learned in um, <clears throat> when I ran my fifth edition D&D campaign, too. I had this really cool idea of, like, okay, the, the characters are level seven. The game is called Dungeons and Dragons. They're going to go in a dungeon and kill a dragon. This is going to rule. But my players were like, hey, what? can't we just like lure this dragon out and maybe not fight him in his lair? And they tried all this sort of stuff, and I shut it down every single time. This is three or four years ago, keep in mind. But I learned that lesson back then of they said, hey, this felt really lame that we had to go through your dungeon to kill your dragon in the middle of it. And it's a lesson that I had forgot when I jumped systems, I think. Yeah, and it can be – well, to your credit, recording for an audience – adds that extra layer of, no, no, I want to bring some structure to this. Mm-hmm. I want to have a satisfying ending for listeners as well as players being able to do whatever the heck they want and, and luring the dragon out, so to speak. Yeah, I think uh, I think one of the things that makes our actual plays unlistenable is that we spend a lot of time just trying to think of how do we how do we do all this crazy stuff that we want to do? And then Dusty spends that time to adjudicate those rules against the crazy stuff we want to do. Yeah, you're exactly right. And plus all the swearing. And all the swearing. And all the swearing, yeah. And all the muttering under the breath of the swearing when it doesn't work. Uh, Yeah, so basically the way it shook out is I I decided to have a compromise, right? Um, No, they're not going to be able to talk their way out of it, but instead of this being a full-blown skirmish bloodbath, I let them talk their way into it being a one-on-one duel. And duels in Legend of the Five Rings and in the setting of Rokugan are a little bit different than they might sort of shake out in your traditional fantasy world where if you win a duel, it's very much a trial by combat situation where if you won the duel, you are in the eyes of the gods and society. You are right. Like you have rewritten reality. If, if, if I, if I challenge dusty and dusty says something mean about my mom and I said, don't say that. And we duel about it. If I win, he never said it. Like I'm in the right here. So it's, it's really interesting that the ability to sort of rewrite society in these duels. So duels have a lot of um, baggage and weight behind them in the setting. So I eventually decided to say, hey, we'll allow you you to duel him, but it's going to be a duel to the death, not to first blood or to submission or whatever, right? So Justin's character, Bayushi, the, the murder machine, she's a great character. She really likes fighting. She's very much Vegeta from Dragon Ball. That's her whole character, concept, and arc. Um decides to duel the the leader of this uh of these unicorn samurai so the way it shakes out the unicorn are really bad at getting the first strike but they're really good fighters once sort of the quick draw section of it ends so bayushi quick draws she gets the first hit on him but he as the combat continues he ends up completely carving her up like on death's door bad and if you know anything about legend of the five rings in the system it's one of those things where the more injuries you take, the harder it is for you to fight back. 
It's not like a game like Dungeons and Dragons where if you have 10 HP or if you have 100, you're fighting the same. Like if you're at, if you're at low HP, if you're close to death, you act like it. So it's a very swingy game, and it got swingy and it swung against Bayushi's favor. So uh, I was now faced with the fact that hey, one of the three stars of my show might die here, and. I had prepared for this eventuality because L5R is a very lethal system, but it wasn't something that I was anticipating having to deal with today. So I don't know. Do you guys have you guys ever had that sort of feeling of wanting to sort of pull punches when a character is about to die and how you feel about that? Yeah, often. Um, yeah, I've, I've I've talked about that before where Mike and I sitting here. So Mike is the, it was the first. GM that I played with that, that had learned from me pulling punches and was pretty ruthless in combat. Mm-hmm. But then early on, I pulled a lot of punches. Now I'm very much let the dice fall where they may. Mm-hmm. But I, I get where you're coming from. Hey, it, it's you've got this audience. You've got this following. They're into these three characters. And if, if you lose a character, not only to something that, that, that feels tangential to the point of the show, mm-hmm. but also... I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is I, I see the pressure. Like, it's so easy to sit here and say, hey, don't railroad your players. And that's a basic right. lesson, and, and, and Tanner forgot it, and it's really easy to point that out. But it's also, you got to remember the pressures of different system, different players, playing for an audience as well as the table. The, the, the lessons that you learn are contextual. And part of the reason we wanted to start the show is to say, you can read this generic advice online that mm-hmm. every show can tout. Don't don't railroad. Don't do this. Don't metagame, and don't metagame is one that we very thoroughly debunked on the show. We talk about mm-hmm. how metagaming has often helped us, and I, I guess what I'm saying, Tanner, is what I would have done here is I would have paused to say, okay, you're going to die. So so Mike, let's say it was you. I'd say Mike, you, your character is going to die. Are you okay with that? Is this a waste of your character? Is this how you want it to go down? Like like we would stop and have this kind of metagame moment. Mm-hmm. Where we say, okay, this is where we see things going. Is this what's going to make us, is this going to make us happy and we're good? Or is this going to make us not want to play anymore? Because I've definitely had, even we, the three of us sitting here, if, if something doesn't go right, we don't play for like six weeks. Like, we, right. Yeah. We skip sessions and, and anything that kills momentum for the game, as much as it disobeys the advice of let the dice fall where they may, metagame and having the conversation, making sure everyone's good is really where I'm, I'm winding up more and more. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, thinking thinking empathetically for, for, for your players, you know, I, I get really attached to, to my characters. And they're just characters I've rolled up in an hour just using a random generator or whatnot, and, and I get really invested to those. I can't think of the emotional investment that your players get when they've been investing a lot of time and a lot of effort into these characters to do a continuating story to develop that character for an audience who's listening, you know, that just adds some of that emotional weight that you've, that you've tied into that. So I could definitely see for your game, it would be a lot more detrimental to your player emotionally, mentally to kill off that character. But you know, you say that, but also I, I think in terms of if I'm doing this for an audience, the character is not just mine. It's also the audience's character. Yeah. And right. an actor can become invested in their character, but characters die. All right, so I'm going to lose some of the audience here. But let's talk about Tasha Yar for just a second. Oh, God. <laughs> main main character, right? Start. I, I don't care. I'm going with it. Next Generation it. season. season what, Se- one, security two? officer. Season one or two. Security officer. She was the wharf for the first several seasons. She was not a merry man. No. She was not a merry man. But she, she was a security officer. She manned the tactical 
console. Um, she she ran the ship in combat. She was a serious character. Denise Crosby wanted was the actress wanted to move on from the show. So I I, I have always hated her death. And it's not that she died. I think it's cool that main characters can die. Um, like Firefly, when it when it went to uh, mega spoilers, when Serenity came out, several of the characters died, and their way, their deaths felt satisfying. Right, and, and I'm I okay think the, the reason, yeah, the reason that it was satisfying was that it was a a follow through of the narrative. It was a narrative reason why they died. Not, I don't want to be on the show anymore. Exactly. You know? Yeah, Tasha Yar's and, 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 death was so dissatisfying because it was just it was some shoehorn. random NPC monster on some planet just wiped her out. But she came back. Sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, like, for, for to speak sort of to more my influences, something like Game of Thrones, right? Spoilers for season one of Game of Thrones. Um, Ned Stark dies, right? And, that, and that's the moment where you sort of realize in the show, oh, this show is not pulling punches. What they did, I, I love that, that whole arc because what they said is, Ned, you're in trouble. Ned, if you don't stop what you're doing, you're going to die. Ned, we're going to kill you. Ned, we killed you. Like, that is the arc. And, and I really, they did not pull a punch there. George R. R. Martin, he, he telegraphed what was going to happen, and then he followed through. That is the exact opposite of what I did. I telegraphed with this duel to the death, hey, the winner of this is the one who's not going to die. If you lose this duel, you're going to die. And then right at the last second, I pulled that punch, and it felt lame to everybody at the table. So, moving on from there, so... um lesson learned from that if you're going to there's there's a really great gm principle from games like apocalypse world which is you know telegraph what you're going to do set the stakes and then follow through like like don't pull that punch if you're if you show signs of a bad thing happening if they don't get around it have the bad thing happen otherwise your your narrative your your lore your your world is, isn't consistent and the players can't consistently predict what's going to actually hurt them or not so Anyway, lesson learned from that. I, I I pulled this punch in a way that made the session even worse. So one of my players, um, Ryan, who plays the spellcaster character Usagi, not Usagi Yojimbo, just Usagi. <laughs> uh, he he has uh, he had an idea, an out of character uh, sort of metagame idea for his character that he wanted to be tempted by this sort of dark magic called Maho that is in the setting, and he said. He had approached me through uh, through messages outside the game very early on and said, hey, at some point, I kind of want my character to be tempted by this. And my lizard brain in this panic moment with all the tension was saying, hey, no, it'd be a really great way to have that moment for Ryan and save Justin's character from certain death. What if I tempted Ryan and said, hey, if you use Maho right now, you can heal your buddy and your buddy won't die. So... That's what I did. Ryan, being the good sport that he is, he played along. This wasn't the moment that he wanted this to happen. He and and he talked to me out of game about this afterwards and saying, "Hey, I wanted this something to be sort of on my terms as an arc for my character, and it felt a little artificial because I said, "Okay, Ryan, Usagi feels the presence of these malicious spirits who are suddenly offering to help your buddy Bayushi who's dying." Um, all they need is a little blood. Do you want to give them a little blood and you'll save your friend? Right? Pretty good deal. So instead of saying, stopping and saying, no, Tanner, this isn't what I wanted right now, he decided to be a good sport and let the game continue. He yes-anded me, and he had it happen. So he uses blood magic, he heals his friend, and it was a, another crummy moment. So um, a lesson learned with that is, hey, if a player is engaged enough in your game, 
to want to talk to you out of character about things they want to happen to their their characters respect that you know like make sure that it's an arc that happens on on their terms as it stood where we did it it was a story moment that happened not when or how he wanted it to happen so you guys have spoken in the past about sort of heel turns and and being able to sort of flip that switch to be able to say hey you know what this good character that you did is about to do something very bad and it's going to be hard to be their fan afterwards so i sort of forced that heel turn on him prematurely interesting yeah i'm thinking that through so to me a greater issue you're going to struggle with is what happens when it is time to kill one of the characters right and we did have a out of character conversation about that pretty early on um and it it is basically what you said like when a character is about to die we will pause and say hey is this the way that you want your character to go out or do you want to find a way around this at a cost and that is sort of the procedure that, that we have set up so to say hey you know what Bayushi doesn't want to die at the hand of this random dude. She wants to have this, this, and this happen to her. Um, maybe we can find a way that he leaves her with a crippling injury of some sort, but the story moves on. And I've I've had those conversations with each one of my players. Justin, the player of Bayushi, to his credit, has said, I want Bayushi to die when she dies. Like, don't pull punches on my account. I want her, I want it to, I don't want it to feel lame. And I totally betrayed that by making it feel very lame and pulling that punch. So lesson learned from that. If I had to do this again, I would have just killed him. Like, and, and I think that it would have made the game very different, but it would have made the table less weird, if that makes sense. So let's follow up on the lesson learned. A little. So uh, you don't want to talk about what the new ending is and how it actually happened. And I don't either. I don't want to spoil episode 29 of, of Shadow of the Cabal. I really, so people at home know, by the way, I've been listening to Shadow of the Cabal since the first episode, since Tanner first posted in the in the Rokugan subreddit. I've been a very loyal listener week over week, looking forward to the new episode. I had listened to this whole arc um, before I even knew that's what Tanner wanted to talk about today. So mm-hmm. I've listened to it legitimately. I, I've enjoyed it legitimately. And the, the, the way you ended it, by the way, I really enjoyed it. I, I ended the last episode going, uh, wow, that was that was really good, way before we talked. So... I love how you ended it up. Do you want to talk about how you got there, the conversations? Is is everyone satisfied now, or are the players good? Yeah, for, as it stands right now, you mean? Is yes, that what you're yeah. Yeah, so as, as it stands right now, I'll get into a little bit later, but we decided to re-record this last arc, this this last uh, act, I should say, of, of this session, and it turned out so much better. And the moral quandary that sort of happened organically in the final release version was way better than anything I could have planned. Um, so I'll just leave that as a little bit of a teaser to listen to episode 29. If you want some more context about what really ended up happening canonically, uh, it turned into a better, we just executed on what we wanted to do better, I think. And I think we're all very, very happy with how it turned out the second time. Um, yeah. And like, like to, just to speak to, you said some very, very kind words about my podcast. And honestly, since when you guys posted your, uh, your first episode or your first couple episodes in the RPG subreddit, I said, okay, what is this? Oh, it's half an hour. All right. I'll listen to it. And this is now RPG lessons learned is the, uh, the number one show I look forward to every week. So it's nice to be able to be genuine fans of one another. Awesome. On, thank you. On the show. Yeah. yeah. Sincerely. Thank you. We, we, we've, I know we've struggled with our format and, and what's the best way to recap old sessions and jog our memories, but still talk about lessons learned. 
Yeah, the, mm-hmm. and, and thank you for coming on here. And, and I mean, clearly you're, you're very much the spirit of the show. Specifics from the session and specific mm-hmm. lessons learned and specific stories. I really think um, GMs who are starting out or even experienced GMs can listen and say, oh, okay, I mm-hmm. I can, this is more specific than the generic advice you read online. And now I can see how to apply this or how, yeah, how it can go afoul. To your point earlier, it's one thing to say, to read an article that says, hey, don't railroad. Let your players do what they want. But like, if you're a new GM, what the hell does that mean? Like, like how do you apply that? So hopefully by describing the, the blow-by-blow of my specific train wreck, uh, it adds a little bit more insight than maybe just don't railroad. And this is why. Um, now, as, as he has used blood magic to save his friend, it's a huge blasphemous crime. It leaves the party in character in a weird spot. Because now they know that their friend did this awful, terrible thing to save their buddy, but like, how does the party move forward from that? It, 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 like you guys said in your Dusk episode, it created a weird divide where there was in-character weirdness. Out of character, we were all fine with it. We love seeing our, our toys break and fall apart. We love it. In character, we came to the conclusion... There is no reason why the three of these people would want to travel and work together anymore. There is no reason that Kitsuki, the the sort of lead investigator, shouldn't just turn this guy in for blood magic and, and he should commit seppuku or be executed for it. And it, it's one of those things where it left our game in a weird spot. So, you know, my hasty move really fractured the party. And it is, in, in times of tension, it's really tempting to want to just make hasty moves. But you have to think one or two steps ahead as the GM of, Hey, where does this leave next session if this happens? Um, so that's my lesson learned for that. And then, um, just really quickly to sort of follow up on that, we had a lot of out of character conversation with it over the next couple of days. Um, we decided that we all made moves that we regretted. We are, we were, none of us were really in our A game when we played that. So we decided to do a re-record, a do-over session throughout what we recorded and, and do it over again. And number one lesson learned from that is don't make a habit of retconning things. When you do it, make sure it matters. Um, because if you over, if you try to retcon every single thing and, and try to almost like save scum and load from a save point and try to do it right every perfect time, like it's a, a Skyrim playthrough or something, <laughs> your, your story has no weight. Like, like what, nothing matters until you do it the right way. So knowing when to balance letting this bad thing sit and us having to build on it versus saying out of character, Hey, this happened. This was, this felt bad for in game and out of game reasons. Let's do it over. The difference between those is such a lifesaver, especially if it's something that you're going to produce for an audience like we do. I love that you did a do over. I've never done a do over. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've repeated the same content with, with different pre-generated characters to, to help people learn D&D. So Mike and Brian here have, have each played Dusk at least twice, but not with the same characters and not to solve that moral quandary we had with those fans that were that were mm-hmm. charmed by the vampires. Um, so I've never actually done a do-over, and I love how it ties in with one of our overarching themes, which is, hey, metagaming can make sense. So you know, mm-hmm. the audience of this show hears that, hey, Sometimes, when it's warranted, to your point, not a habit, but when it's warranted, maybe a do-over's the best thing. Right, and and it's one of those things, too, where it's, it's like, 
the this isn't our first do-over. The last one was because somebody didn't record, so we had to record the session again. Oh, no. That was a, yeah, <laughs> that, that was its own struggle. The, the person in question wore the dunce cap for a week. We've all messed up. It's fine. But that, that's that's understandable. That's one thing where it's like, okay, well, now I just have to slightly change the session. We have to re-record it. But this one was because of the content of it. And that is such a, like you said, it's it's a harder call to make. And it like we've been harping on three or four times, metagame conversations out of character conversations are so valuable for being able to understand what the players want and where they want the game to go and where you're going to take it. Yeah. There's a sense some, some folks that I've talked to um, have about the purity of the game and how anything metagame spoils that purity. But for me, it's like what I said earlier, if, if, if anything, anything kills my players enthusiasm to show up at the table, that's bad for all of us. I would rather metagame, than have this artificial sense of purity about the in-game world. Yeah, and it depends on the game you're playing too, right? Like, if if you're playing a strictly first edition D&D dungeon crawl and you, you come upon a, a statue and you as a player say to the GM, hey, does this statue look weird? Like, it's going to come to life? Like, that's one type of metagaming situation and that's due to the context of the game. But for what we're doing, which is a very story-driven thing, we have constant metagame conversations and out of character conversations where we say, okay, Ryan, uh, what do you like? Okay. You want to meet with this crab character? What do you want out of this scene? Where do you want the scene to end up by the end of it? And let's talk it through and I'll work towards that too. And we can have a scene that's satisfying, even if we had to do some out of character weirdness to get it there. Like at, at a certain point, like if there's no point in hiding your cards from one another, if the intent of the scene is to collaborate to make a cool story. I love how you send that up. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like I said, we decided to re-record it. And what turned into episode 29 is a way better session. So I encourage you all to go check out episode 29 of Shadow of the Cabal and uh, let me know what you think about it. All right. Tanner, do you want to tell us about your social media presence slash website slash all that? Yeah, sure. Um, our website is under construction right now, but uh, if you go to shadowofthecabal.com, it will redirect to our Tumblr blog where I've just been posting sort of snippets and stuff. But if you go to SOTC pod, like Shadow of the Cabal, SOTC pod on Twitter, uh, that is basically the best way to get a hold of us and where we put out our most recent updates. But the show is on uh, Google Play, it's on iTunes. I haven't gotten around to Stitcher yet, but. Uh, it should be on most of the major platforms, and I should mention that we are part of the RPG Academy Network, and they have awesome, great advice shows just like this one, and uh, great actual plays too. So if you like what we do, and if you want to find people who find have a similar philosophy of if you're having fun, you're doing it right, check out some other shows on the RPG Academy Network. Awesome. And to, to drive people to your blog, you have a great blog entry about conspiracy, how to run a conspiracy game and how to think of it. Um, yeah, you posted that yeah. quite some time ago. I read that. I really enjoyed that. I want to run a conspiracy game sometime in the near future. Awesome. Yeah. So check out that blog post. I think it's called like how to make a conspiracy work in L5R and, uh, some great lessons learned from it, the gumshoe system in there. So can't say enough good things about that, that system and all that's come out of it. So thanks so much guys. Yeah. Tanner, thank you for coming on. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Brian, that's RPG lessons learned this week. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned, and we're sharing ours with you. <laughs>